concerns. Maybe, maybe you're trying to figure out how to pay your bills. You could be worried about some medical tests that you've had done recently that might explain your situation a little better. It might even be fears about life and what it's going to be like with the loss of your spouse or a loved one that's been near and dear to your heart. Could be a combination of pretty much anything. You might even be thinking about what you're going to do when I quit preaching today and you get out for church. And yeah. There's an endless list of things that can consume our thoughts, consume our minds. I wonder what is it this morning that you're thinking about that you just can't seem to stop thinking about could be any number of things I think it's a worthy question to consider given the fact that we've all come into the house of God this morning and we should be thinking about God amen and uh, instead we might be preoccupied with thoughts of other things you know there literally sometimes is a war raging inside of our mind controlling our thoughts, consuming our thinking. We, we come and deep down in our heart we want to engage God in worship, but so often we find that our mind is drifting to other things. Sometimes, sometimes it's really hard to focus on God. But that's what we're here for, to focus on the Lord. There, uh, unashamedly, uh, well, you know, maybe I should say ashamedly, <laughs> there are many things that are pulling and grabbing for our attention. Sometimes it's just hard for us to come in, sit down, be still, turn off all the worldly, worldly cares and concerns, and take a moment to meet with the Lord. Hard to do that sometimes, isn't it? If that is you, then I want you to understand that you're probably not alone. There are probably people all around you that are thinking about things that are consuming their thoughts this morning things that they're dealing with, things that they're struggling with. Psychologist Shelton Kopp said all of the significant battles are waged within the self, within our psyche. They take place in our mind. And, and many of those battles are connected to our fears. And there are a great many more that are focused on our failures, thoughts, things that consume us. John Maxwell says the greatest of battles that people wages against their own flaws and, and their, their failures. Sometimes we're so focused on what we've done wrong that we can't think about what we need to do right. And it's hard to do things right. I, I remember playing baseball. My dad was my coach early on in my baseball career. <laughs> and uh, dad always used to say, son, if you play baseball long enough, you're going you're gonna to make a mistake. You're going to have an error. You're going to kick the ball, drop the ball, fumble the ball, make a bad throw. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. But here's what you need to understand. If you keep focusing on the error that you just made, you're going to make another one and another one and another one. Well, that's true in baseball. And that's why you have to look beyond your errors or else you just keep, make, keep making more of them. But in life, things are a little different, isn't it? Life goes far beyond what a game would go. It's far more than a game. John Maxwell again says the greatest of the battles people rage is against their own flaws and failures. But he goes on to say to have an opportunity to reach your greatest potential, then you must know who you are and you have to face your flaws. Think about that. How do you do that? Well, some thoughts. 
To do that, the first thing that you have to do is see yourself clearly. Yourself. You have to think about who you are. You have to stop and take a really good look at who you are. In fact, I think you need to ask God to let you see what he sees. The real you. And as you look at that, face the truth. Don't live in denial. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Take a good look in the mirror and ask the question, Who am I? Who am I really? When you get to that point, I think the next thing you do is you've got to admit your flaws honestly. If you examine yourself with the Word of God, God's Word, you need to see what He sees and you need to own what He shows you. Own your sin. Take full responsibility for who you are and for all the bad choices that you've made. Stop blaming others. Stop blaming God. Sometimes we do that. We, we, we blame God for all the bad choices we make when we shouldn't. You know, at the end of the day, you, you are the only one that God is going to hold accountable for the sin you've committed and for the flawed character that you possess. Uh, Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. Everything is clear and it lies open before Him. And to Him we must explain the way that we've lived. I think because of that, it's far better for us to uh, be honest about who we are now while grace, the grace of God, is available. It's, it's just better. The next thing that I see that we need to do is to discover your strengths joyfully. We all have our weaknesses, amen? <laughs> and, and our mates and our children know them better than we do. We know our weaknesses, and, and we also have strengths. There are those things that we just don't do very well, and I, I encourage you, if you're young, to especially think about this. Don't spend the rest of your life trying to get better at what you don't do well. Instead, focus on what you do best. Get even better at what you do best and, and let others do what you don't do well. Find people who can do things well that you don't do good and let them do it. It's important that you think about that and do you focus that way. If you're not good at teaching or if you're not good at cooking, but you can cut grass or you can drive a golf cart or you can greet people at the door, then leave the teaching and cooking to other people and, and come and cut grass. We've got plenty of it around here. We'd love for you to match up with one of our lawnmowers. You would have a good time. All you want to cut is plenty there. You can drive a golf cart. There's plenty of things you can do. The, the point is, it's best when we do what we do best and we give God our best. And if we'll all focus on that, then we'll win and so will God. There. There, there, there comes a time when we need to stop and thank God for what he's given us the ability to do. And we all need to use our giftedness for his glory and, and in his service. Peter says, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. You need to manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. He says, he asks the question, are you called to be a speaker if so, then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Well, if so, do it with all the strength and the energy that God supplies. 
then God will be given glory in everything through Jesus Christ. All glory and power belong to him forever and ever. Amen. So take a good look at yourself clearly. Admit your flaws honestly. And discover your strengths joyfully. And when you've done all that, then you'll be ready to build your life on the strengths that you have passionately. Folks, that is what the Apostle Paul did. Now, before I look at a few things with you about Paul, I want to remind you that Paul was well aware of his sinful past. Who here is not? We all know the things that we've done wrong, the sins we've committed. Paul said this about himself. He said this is a true saying. And everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he said, and I was the worst of them all. Paul knew about his life. He knew what he had done in the past. But Paul also knew the struggle that he had in the present. Look, look at what he says in Romans. He said, I know I am rotten through and through. So far as my old sin nature is concerned, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. He said, it seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God, he said. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in the mind, he says, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sin nature, he says, I am a slave to sin. There is a battle that rages in every one of us. And our, our greatest battles truly begin in our minds. They begin right here. Well... The Apostle Paul was no different than you. And you're no different than Paul. And Paul realized that he had to fight against those thoughts. He had to make sure that they didn't get the best of him. And, and instead of letting that happen, he put his past in the past. He gave it to the Lord. And he spent the rest of his life moving on, serving the Lord as passionately as he could. We know a little bit about Paul. We know that he began as a man named Saul. Saul was later called Paul, but if you know something about his history, you know that he was a Christian killer in the very beginning, and he was right up until the time that he met the resurrected Christ. And he had a reputation. There was a man by the name of Ananias that we find brought out in Scripture. His life was... Uh, he was called to do a certain thing to help Paul. In fact, Ananias knew a lot about Paul. He knew his background, and he was afraid of the man. But then God sent Ananias with some instructions on how to help Paul reach his greatest potential for the Lord. And, 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 and God said to Ananias, I want you to go to Saul, and I want you to speak these words to him. Well, it took a lot of courage for him to do that, but he does. He goes, and he finds Saul, and he gives him the message of the Lord, and and if you read scripture, and we're going to do that in just a minute, it says that Saul's blindness was healed. His sins were forgiven. His soul was saved forever. And the Spirit of God moved in to indwell in Paul for the rest of his existence. And at that point, Paul being a new Christian, he followed the Lord in believer's baptism. 
and he gets busy serving the Lord. That's the pattern that we should follow. Look, look at what Acts chapter 9 verse 15 says. It says, The Lord said to Ananias, I want you to go and do what I say, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings and as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for me. So Ananias went and he found Saul and he laid his hands on him and he said, you got to remember, Saul is blinded at this point. He can't see a thing. Been that way now for several days. He, he says to Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, Luke writes that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up. He did whatever a new Christian should do. He was baptized, and, and afterward he ate some food, and he was strengthened. It says that the, the latter part of that verse that he stayed with the believers there in Damascus for a few days. What a turnabout. I mean, he had gone there to imprison Christians and, and to see to it that they were either locked away in bars or they were put to death. But he stays with them. They accept him, and immediately it says... He began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. What a turnaround. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who persecuted Jesus' followers with such devastation in Jerusalem, they asked? And we understand that he came here to arrest some others and, and to take them and change and uh, take them to the leading priest. In verse 22 it says, So Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Why was that so? How in the world was that possible? How was the change in Paul made possible? I, I believe with, I, with all my heart that it was because Paul refused to focus on the past. And instead, he passionately pursued the reason that God saved him and called him in ministry. He got better and better at what he did best. And that was to preach the gospel with all the strength and the ability that God had given him. And because of his personal dedication to become all that God saved him to be, he became one of the greatest proclaimers of the gospel to ever live on the face of this earth. And folks, I'm saying to you that if that can happen to Paul, it can happen for you. Every Christian can reach their full God-given potential. There's something that God wants you to do with your life. Something that only God can do through you because he's designated that for your task in life. But guess what? It is not without change and it'll never be without sacrifice. Both change and sacrifice happened, have to happen on your behalf and in your life in order for you to become what God wants you to be. John Maxwell says you can reach your potential tomorrow if you dedicate yourself to growth today. Remember that to change the world, you must first change yourself. Well, there's that word again, change. That's a Baptist cuss word, you know. Change. Nobody likes to change. It's hard to change. I don't know of anybody that likes to change. 
Mark Hoover writes about change. He says, I think one of the most frustrating things about human beings is our failed attempts at change. Stubborn habits and patterns keep cropping up like indestructible weeds. We want to change, but we can't change because we have issues. We all need to change some different things in our life. Amen? Every one of us needs to change. And the beautiful thing is, is that God has promised to change us and shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's not physical appearance. God's made you to look like you look because that's the way he wanted you to look. Now some of us can help him a little bit. You'll figure that out later. Real change is needed. Real change is needed. And it's possible. And it's available. I want to look at how spiritual change takes place. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter, Since this new covenant, this new life we have in Christ, this new agreement with God, this new relationship we have with God, because it gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel could not see the glory fading away. But the people's minds were hardened. And even to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, a veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. He says, and this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. That word believing is the word pistuo. It means to trust, to have faith in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, they, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Understanding the truth of God. Folks, that not being able to understand the truth is where the majority of the world lives today. They're in darkness. They don't understand the things of God. They can't take the Word of God and read it and understand. They can't understand when you start talking to them about the things of God. They don't get it. Either they're unable to see and understand the truth of God or else they're unwilling to accept the truth that could set them free. That could very well be where you are today. Look at verse 16, it said, but whenever, this is a key, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord. In other words, if you're, you're going in a direction that leads you away from God, if you'll turn around and start walking in God's direction, spiritually and even physically, when you're headed doing the right thing, headed to do the right thing for God, he said, then the veil is taken away and understanding takes place. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom, spiritual freedom. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, notice that, the Spirit of the Lord working within us, working on our mind, changing our hearts, He said we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. 
When I read this passage the other day, there appeared to me two reasons why Moses put a veil over his face. you got to remember, he's been up in the mountain in the presence of God, and when he comes down, he puts a veil on his face. At first, Moses puts this veil over his face to keep from frightening the people. He's been in the presence of God, and the glory of God is shining on his face. He's lit up like a light bulb. And the radiance of that glow was frightening for them to look at. They had a history with God. And they knew something about God. And, and, and God even warns them. In fact, he says something interesting in Isaiah 30. It said, the Lord said, I will stand up and show my power and might. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know about what I am and what I can do. He says in verse 11, you Assyrians will gain nothing by all your efforts. Your rebellion against me, your, your, your paganism, your wickedness, you're, you're not going to get ahead by going that direction. He said, your own breath will turn to fire and kill you. Your people will be burned up completely like thorns cut down and tossed into the fire. Listen to what I have done, you nations that are far away. He's speaking about those nations that are not a part of the nation of Israel. He says, and then he says, and you that are near, acknowledge my might. I, I walked out on the porch this morning. I let my dog out. It was early. The, the light was barely starting to break the top of the trees. But when I looked up, I thought, wow. I know you're out there. And I know you're a whole lot bigger than I am. Why would you even give me the time of day? I'm just a, a grasshopper down here. And you're God. The God that made all of that cares about little old insignificant me. And he cares about you as well. But God says you need to recognize who I am. He goes on to say, and you that are near acknowledge my might. In verse 14 he says, the sinners in Jerusalem, they shake with fear. Why? Because they cry. Which one of us can, can live here in the presence of this all-consuming fire? What were they talking about? They were talking about God. God is that all-consuming fire. He can just breathe on us. And we're gone. Totally annihilated if you wanted to. They knew that about God. They'd seen that kind of history. They'd seen the wrath of God. And they were terrified. Well, that's one reason why Moses put a veil over his face to cover that glory. But later on, the longer that Moses was withdrawn from being in the presence of God, the more that glow began to diminish. And Moses didn't want the people to know it. I'm not sure why. I don't know, maybe he liked the attention he got with a veil on his face and, and being lit up. I don't know. Maybe he wanted them to think more highly of him than he should have. Again, I don't know. I just know what it says. It says Moses put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see that glory fading. Hmm. Again, I, I don't have all the answers. But I do, know, I do know this, unlike Moses, as Christians, we all stand 
before Jesus. We can all stand before Jesus with our faces uncovered. We don't have to cover our faces as we enter into the presence of God. We don't have to be afraid of coming into his presence. In fact, God, our God, encourages us to come closer and closer and closer to him. The closer we are to him, the less chance the devil has a foothold to get into our life. I think it also reminds us and, and means that as we look into the word of God, the mirror of God, we can all get a chance to see the glory of, of Jesus Christ. And that's what we should be looking at. You see, God wants us to focus on Jesus. And as we do, God's glory actually begins to transform our lives. It changes us as we look at Jesus. The more we look at Jesus, the more we're changed. God works on shaping us into the image of, of his son every day. The more we think about Jesus, the more that takes place. The more truth that you know and understand about Jesus, the more you can be like him. So often, we're in a mindset that keeps that from happening. We hinder that growth. We hinder that shaping of our lives. I've, I've chosen a passage of scripture here for an exercise for us today. I want us to do something I think that's very important. It's something that I hope you will do at home. I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to do it quite often. I found a passage of scripture that was written by Isaiah. It's, it's God's uh, word speaking about who Jesus would become and who Jesus was going to be. Keep in mind that when Isaiah penned these words, it was 800 years before the birth of Christ before he came and dwelt on earth 800 years ahead of his coming into our world and yet what he said about Jesus is so profound and prophetic and, and on target and it helps us to know who Jesus is because as we look at Jesus we can see and learn something about God so I want you to do your best for just a minute Stop thinking about what you're thinking about. Focus on the Lord. Put all those worldly cares aside. Try to block out all that noise, that chatter that's pulling at your mind and at your heart. And allow God to hold your attention as I read this passage of Scripture. Isaiah 53, verse 2. God said through Isaiah the prophet, My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, spouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief, we turned our backs on him and we looked the other way when he went by and he was despised and we did not care. And yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sin. But he was wounded and he was crushed for our sin. He was beaten that we might have peace he was whipped and we were healed all of us have strayed away like sheep 
We have all left God's path to follow our own, and yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and the sin of us all. He was oppressed, and he was treated harshly, and yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearer, he did not open his mouth from prison. And from trial they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sin? That he was suffering their punishment? He had done no wrong. And he never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and fill him with grief. And yet when his life is made an offering for sin, notice he's speaking future tense. And when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children, many heirs. And he will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's plans will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant, the Lord says, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, and he will bear all their sins. And I will give him the honors of one who is mighty and great, because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among those who were sinners, and he bore the sins of many, and he interceded for sinners. My friend, I want you to understand that there's nobody in this world that will ever love you like Jesus. Nobody. There's nobody that has ever done more for you or will ever do more for you than Jesus did. So you know what? I believe, based on that single fact alone, Jesus deserves to be the subject of every conversation that we have. He really does. I'm preaching to myself this morning. He deserves to be the subject of my every conversation. But when you and I talk, who do we talk about? How often do we bring up the name of Jesus in the presence of others? Do we? We should. You know, it's been said that Paul was perhaps the most effective communicator of his time and that the Corinthians were perhaps the most sophisticated audience. I told you last week that the Corinthians were a whole lot like us Americans or else either we're, we're, we're becoming more and more like them, probably a combination of both. When you study the history of the Corinthians, you find that they were a trade powerhouse. They had their hands pretty much in everything that was happening in their world. They were very diverse. They were multicultured. They had Roman muscle. They had Greek philosophy. They had their own brand of materialism that made them feel like they were the smartest and probably the most powerful kid on the block. What an attitude. How do you deal with people who have everything? How do you deal with people who know it all? Do you pander them? 
or do you tell them the truth? The Apostle Paul had a choice to make. He could do one or the other. He refused to fall into that trap like so many of us do. He refused to be a, a man pleaser. Instead, he focused on Jesus. And Jesus was the subject of his conversation everywhere he went. That's what he talked about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, We don't go around preaching about ourselves. That's, we're not the subject of our sermons, is what he was saying. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. All we say about ourselves is that we are your servants because of what Jesus has done for us. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made the light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Why was it that Paul focused his thoughts and his words on Jesus? Why? Well, he, he gives the answer right there in the passage. He said it is because God is the only one who can command light to shine out of darkness. Now think about that. Let that thought sink in for just a minute. He is the only one who can command light to shine out of darkness. Any one of us can get up, go over to a light switch, flick it on, and make the lights come on. Right? That's not that hard to do, is it? G give me a candle and a match and, and I can light up the room. I can do that. But friends, I want you to understand that God is the only one that can command light to come out of darkness. He is the, he is the only one that can do that. He can create light from absolutely nothing. It's hard, hard for us to imagine that there was a time when nothing existed out there but God. And God doesn't need light to be able to see. So he was probably living in darkness. But darkness to him doesn't mean what it means to us. But for us, he commanded light to exist. And he commanded it to come out of darkness. I believe that's why Paul talked about the Lord a lot. I also believe that this same God is the only one who can, can give us true knowledge about his glory and his son. You know... God, and, and the world tells us today that there's no such thing as absolute truth, but I, I want you to know that the world's telling you a lie. There is absolute truth. And God is the source, the only source of absolute truth. His word says that Jesus is the light that our world desperately needs, and he can shine on us when he does. He can change our life literally with his truth. No one, think about it, in all the world, in all the people that have lived, Nobody's ever influenced this world like Jesus Christ. Nobody. And if you will stop long enough to focus on and think about Jesus and take a serious look at Jesus, then you'll be able to see who God is. Folks, everyone in this world desperately needs to see God and know God. To do that, to do that, you have to focus on, uh, with your mind and your heart on Jesus. We all need to refocus our attention on God. Why? Because from time to time, because of our nature, we tend to stray away from God. We tend to go down our own path. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That is a statement of eternal significance. Why? 
Because, think about this, everybody that's ever lived will one day see God with their own eyes. Everybody. In eternity, everybody's going to see God. Now, some are going to see God and be happy. Some are not going to be happy when they see God. But everybody's going to have to take that moment where we look God in the face. We're going to be accountable. We all will. Not only is this, a, a, this statement have eternal significance, but it also has earthly value. You, you don't have to wait into eternity to see God. You can see God right now. You can see God. That simply means that you can see God working. I, I, I've never seen God with my eyes. Not like I'm looking at you. I've never heard God with my ears like you and I talk in a conversation. But I want you to know I've seen God and I've heard God. And you can see and hear God as well. You, you can see God in the relationships that you have. You can see God in the work you do. You can see God in the struggles you face. You can see God in the situations that you have to deal with. Folks, God is everywhere and God is at work doing something in, in this world to carry out his plan. He is busy working. Dr. Charles Stanley says, people who pursue purity are the ones that see God. They're the ones that see God as he works in and through their lives daily, teaching them his ways. Because their hearts are set on the Savior, because we're focused on Jesus, because we're refocusing on Jesus from time to time, he says their view of him is not obscured by the confusion and the clutter that sin causes. So why is that true? Why is it true? Well, it's simply because you can understand in a powerful way how that the Lord is behind every good thing that comes your way. The Lord causes those good things to happen. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good action and every perfect gift is from God. These good gifts come down from the Creator of the sun and the moon and the stars who does not change like their shifting shadows. It's also because that every trial and every difficulty that, that we face somehow has meaning and purpose in the life that we live. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Somehow, everything that happens, and, and, and that's not just a list of good things. That's a list of bad things as well. And everything mixed in between, all of the gamut from the worst to the best, somehow God takes all of that and he works it for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't always understand that. And I'm honest, I don't always look at everything that, that happens, you know, in that moment as this is a good thing. Sometimes I, I gripe and I say, why God, why? But then later on God shows me why. And I'm sure there's a lot of things on the other side when I get to sit down and look at why God did what he did in my life. It's going to all make sense. Might not now, but it will. 
You know, according to Scripture, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you, you, you can understand that God is working everything out for your ultimate good. That's what Scripture teaches. He can change your plans. He can change your circumstances. God can engineer unexpected events in a way that produces unimaginable benefit. He can heal your broken and, and strained relationships. God is amazing at how he does that. He can open up doors that you desperately need to be opened. God can even orchestrate relationships in such a way that, that his word can be shared with greater power and more impact. God, God can just put people together in a way that makes wonderful things happen. God knows how to do that. God is good at that. My, my simple question to you is, do you want to see more of the Father's work in your life? Do you want to be able to see God and hear God working in your life? Do you want more of, that, of God's presence in a profound way in your life? Do you? Well, if you do, then let, let me encourage you to make a consistent effort to keep your heart pure by seeking and, and obeying the Lord. You know, it's a sin to know what we ought to do and not do it. And, and there's a lot of things we know we ought to do that we just keep putting off. We procrastinate. Do what you know you ought to do. Make an effort to keep that heart pure. Refuse to hide sin in your heart. How many of us walk around with, with sin in our heart closet? You know what we ought to do with sin when we realize that sin is we ought to confess it. I said to you just a few weeks ago that conviction is a blessing from God. If you've sinned and God convicts you, you ought to thank God. Yeah, it's painful. It hurts. It's not pleasant. But why did he expose that in your life? It's because he wants you to come closer and the only way you're going to be able to come closer is if you confess that and repent of it and, and let the Lord remove it out of your life so that you can draw, draw closer. You need to take time every day to open up the Word of God and ask the, the Holy Spirit to, to put you through a wash cycle. You know, get in that spiritual washing machine and, and take the Word of God and just let God wash you. Sometimes we need to put it on that heavy-duty cycle. Amen? We do. You know, that light cycle won't get as clean as well. You know, we, we need to get deep into the Word of God and let Him cleanse us. I know this, in everything that we do, we need to submit to the Father's will. God's got a master plan out there. I don't always understand it, but there are things that I do understand. I'm responsible. You don't know what you don't know, but what you do know you're responsible for. And what you know you can do and what you know is God's will. You know, sometimes we go, well, I just need to pray about that, preacher. I don't know if that's God's will for my life or not. Well, it says it in the Word. You don't have to pray about what God has already said in the Word. It's kind of universal when God makes a, a, a blanket statement about what we're to be doing with our lives. We need to submit our life to the Father's will. Be busy about doing the things that... God calls every Christian to do. But more than anything, and I, and I hope you get this today, sometimes we get off base, we get off track. 
Sometimes we make a wrong turn. Sometimes we make a bad decision. It doesn't seem like much at that moment. But you know, just a half a degree today, five weeks down the road, six months down the road, can be miles away from God. Just one little bad choice today, one decision, one little attitude, one little issue can take us so far away from God. We, we can lose our focus because of what we think we need to do. Folks, sometimes we need to just stop and have a, a refocused event with the Lord. Refocus on the Lord. Put your eyes back on Jesus. Get your heart straight. Get your heart right. Get back on track with God. I, you know, we've had a busy summer. I talked about that last week. I can't think of a better time to refocus on the Lord than today. I, I, I say this all the time. Whenever God is speaking to your heart, that's when you need to act. If there's something that God is stirring in you today because of what you've heard, not just my words, but the, the words of the Lord, and maybe even Scripture has spoken to your heart, maybe you need to refocus and maybe you need to respond. Refocus your attention on Jesus because Jesus nobody's ever done for you what Jesus has done nobody's ever going to love you like Jesus loves you your future and hope is in Jesus Christ alone he's the one you ought to be talking about he cares about you more than anybody else in this world will ever care about you and I don't care what kind of problem you have I don't care what kind of concern you're faced with Jesus is the answer refocus on him listen to what the writer of Hebrews writes in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Great suggestion here. He said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. You ever tried to run with leg weights on? You ever tried to pick up a, a tire and run with it? You ever put somebody on your back and tried to run? Might not mean much when you're young, but when you get old like me, <laughs> you start pulling out your keys and your chains and everything you got. Why? Because it, it weighs you down. Well, in a spiritual way, sin does the same thing. We can't run the race that God wants us to run if there's sin that's slowing us down. He said, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Every one of us has our own race that God wants us to run, and we need to run it well so that at the end we hear, Thy good and faithful servant, you've done a good job running this race. He says this, and this is important. We can do this. We can do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Don't look at your problems, don't look at your neighbor. Look at the Lord. Be honest with what you are. Be honest with who he is. For he is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Wow. I wonder, what do you need to do this morning to be able to refocus on the Lord? 
say, Brother Randy, I'm not sure I need to do that. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Everybody in this room needs to refocus on the Lord. Everybody. Not just a few, but everybody. You can do that this morning at the altar. You can do that in your, your seat. But I hope and pray that if you didn't get anything else from this message today, that you realize that Jesus is the one you need to stay focused on. He, he will help you to be the overcomer that he wants you to be. Will you do that this morning? Will you put your focus back on the Lord? Take to heart some of the things that I've said this morning so that you can live a victorious life. God wants good in your life. It's all about focusing on him. Will you bow your heads and pray with me for just a minute? Brother Ronnie's going to come. We're going to give you an invitation this morning to respond to the Lord. You know, when I give an invitation, it's not about me. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. I want you to be thinking about the Lord. When we have these invitations times at the end of the service, it's not about me. It's not about people watching you. It's not about anything but you drawing near to the Lord. You becoming what he wants you to be. It's about you focusing on the Lord. It's about you committing yourself to do the things that God's put in your heart to do. I, I think every time we, we give an invitation in a service like this, there's somebody that needs to be saved. There's somebody that needs to rededicate their life to the Lord. There's somebody that needs to confess sin, not to me, but to the Lord. We certainly all need to be focused on God. That's why we came here today. We're here to be about the Lord's work and to let him do his work in and through us. What an amazing opportunity we have. Father, please today help us to do the things that make you happy and pleased with our life. God, restore the joy in our heart. Help us to be able to deal with life struggles. Oh, what a blessed promise to know that as a person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, you help us. And in our good days and in our bad days, you work a purpose that is for our ultimate good. This life is temporary. And oh God, there's so many things that the devil would like to take us out with. And Lord, stress is one of them. God, help us not to worry. Help us not to... Be concerned about the things we can't do a whole lot about. Help us to focus on you. Trust you for all that we need and all that we are. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Will you stand? Will you listen to God this morning? Not just with your ears but with your heart. Will you do the thing that God has put on your heart to do? I know the devil's saying don't do that. You don't need to do that. Just be who you are. Well, the Lord says, no, I want to make you somebody 